everyone. You're very welcome back to the Odyssey podcast. This is episode number 22. Uh, Connor here, joined as always by Adam Phillips. Adam, how are you getting on? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. I, I was wondering what you were going to say joined, cause since since you took the, the lead here on the intro. I was wondering how you were going to intro me. <laughs> I'm, I'm satisfied. Was, that, that was okay. I was like, and I've been thinking about this during the week. We were talking just before this about spamming the Barbell Medicine podcast during the week and I, I do a lot of driving I've been listening to a lot recently and how we're a shit version of them which I totally agree with and I was thinking like if I intro you I was gonna just copy Jordan Feigenbaum's intro for you like joined us always by the second most handsome powerlifting coach in Ireland Adam Phillips how are you doing <laughs> definitely but, uh, not that would true seem either definitely a little not bit your way down the list I'm afraid yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. at least in their case <laughs> that's that's probably true like Austin Baraki is, is a pretty handsome dude I think they used jacked as well. They used that as a metric, but yeah, no hard agree. He is, he's a handsome bloke. Um, but anyway, <laughs> how's your week been so far? My week has been good. It's been busy doing powerlifting, coaching things and whatnot, which is <laughs> in reality us just sitting on our PCs playing video games, pretending like we're working. But well, well, I have a full time job, so I I, do, I work hard for my for my living. But you've been doing a bit of powerlifting as well. Not only just the coaching. We do do the powerlifting. We do a bit of picking, picking up some heavy circles. We lift weights sometimes, yeah. <laughs> How's that been going? How many, how many weeks are you at now? I am ten weeks and four days out, I believe. That's a decent bit of time, actually. I thought it was closer for some reason. Yeah, it's funny. When I kind of had my training laid out in front of me, um, or my tentative training as as my my new coach likes to call it which i like a lot um as i kind of had the the overview laid out in front of me i realized just how far away it actually is in like in training weeks like 10 weeks just it sounded like almost too close like i was almost kind of not looking forward to it because it was so close and maybe uh, expectations weren't in or yeah expectations in reality were not necessarily lining up the way the way i'd hoped but um you know actually jumping back into the training process and, and focusing on that process i'm realizing yeah it actually is quite a bit of time and i have quite a lot of time to continue kind of snowballing and, and gathering momentum really nice you're so what you're like two or three two or three blocks out yeah I'm, certainly you would have been at the start of this block anyway yeah i'm on block one of three um ah, so sweet. we're kind of doing two developmental blocks and then just your traditional old kind of lift heavy stuff like you would in competition for the last block and yeah very nice peaking is is very simple as we said like that small increase in specificity with that bit of a drop in fatigue like we kind of mentioned in the last episode um it's it's kind of as simple as that really but it's it's nice that kind of 10 weeks seems like a bit of time to this might be a bit reductive now but it still feels like time where you can actually build strength Whereas on a short term, like if you were six weeks out, you might think, okay, this maybe isn't enough time to build any more strength, but refine the strength that I have to be able to express it on the day and to like maximize your preparedness, if that kind of makes sense. I don't know if you if you agree with me on that one. We're, we're in for a totally different kind of discussion now today, but, but maybe that might be a bit of a, a debate for later on. What do you reckon? No, I'm, I'm in full agreement as usual. No debate, no debate to be had yeah. here no debates today guys but well. we do have a well maybe maybe <laughs> we put out a few q and a's this is our 
first Q&A episode of 2023. We have a couple of really good questions came in, so loads to talk about. Uh, Adam, do you want to kick us off with some questions? I can do. I kind of have a, a, a short shorthand version of the questions. Super. So maybe you want cool. to read out the full question that we got regarding kind of assessing people's training level. Super. So I have it here in front of me. We have, I'd be interested about two things, assessing someone's training level and what you would look at to begin someone's block or is there a place of giving someone an introducing block and base their training off how they perform there. So that's part one of this two-part question. I think we can take that and run with it. Yeah. So So essentially, I believe what this is asking, sorry to cut across you, what this is asking is, do we have a protocol in place for somebody who's brand new in terms of, let's say, assessing their preparedness, their training history and all that and design something straight off the bat? Or do we just have this kind of default block that regardless, we will give you this and then we'll monitor afterwards. That's kind of what I picked up from this question uh, what do you think yeah i i kind of assumed it was it was geared towards kind of finding out how we approach writing someone's first block and and what that kind of introductory yeah. block looks like um you know he asked about assessing training level and that's just kind of part of that process yeah 100 percent. so it, it of course does depend as i kind of alluded to whether somebody is brand brand new to the gym or let's say if we've had experienced lifters people maybe who have competed before sign up to us so let's say in the first instance if somebody is brand brand new which is rare but it does happen we would kind of just assess their kind of movement quality straight off the bat so in the sign up call we would see look have you done any sort of physical activity in the past and then let's say we might get them to do a simple like bit of a bodyweight squat kind of test this just start from the grounds up a bottoms up approach if you will this is how i would certainly approach it anyway you you may have different levels but if somebody's kind of comfortable with bodyweight squats, like if I was personal training with somebody and they were brand new to it, I would nearly just start with a goblet squat. If their training history isn't extensive, like let's say this is maybe an older person, I would start with a goblet squat. It's just much easier to handle, work up their strength that kind of way, and then transition them onto a barbell if they have no kind of um, upper limb limitations. So it's more that balance of the barbell on the back that I find people would struggle with rather than the actual weight of it and then from there i might just jump just in and practicing add, add, add yeah 100%. like if we're starting really at that point like pure pure raw beginner mm. um you know before jumping onto the barbell i would first assess like why like is that necessary at all now, mo- some of our listeners you know this probably isn't appropriate to the majority of the people listening but you might find it interesting to hear me say that i might never have them use a barbell of course yeah i might just have them use something else <laughs> um especially yeah. especially bars are super useful if you've ever trained um just general pop people people that are just interested in in health and you know putting on a bit of muscle maybe looking a little bit better um you know barbells we only use barbells because they're convenient you can do lots with a barbell whereas there there are some you know squat specialty bars that if, if you have access to them they can be a phenomenal way to load up a squat range of motion for just a, an average person who doesn't want to be a power lifter let's say you know so i might never have them progress well progress maybe is, is the wrong word might never have them step into the land of barbell uh barbell loaded squats yeah be- no i i totally agree i kind of was taking this from the angle of somebody who's interested in mm-hmm. powerlifting, but well, for in- sure i think the likes of a safety bar 
in that in that um, instance as well, like if someone's interested, if someone comes to me and they're a complete beginner and they're interested in powerlifting, yeah, we'll we'll see how they move, and then I'll have them jump straight straight into a bar. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll skip all the other, you know, potentially silly bullshit. Not to call you out here, that a lot of people kind of think they have to do this kind of very very slow graded exposure progressions through 15 different exercises to then put a bar on the back as if that's some holy grail of being able to lift yeah. weights when nah I'll just put a bar on your and back. Of, of course con- it's context dependent the kind of client that I had in mind was the kind of last place that I was doing in person personal training had a lot of older clients a lot of older female clients who had like never been in a gym before so as much as I agree with yeah just go straight to it I I know you agree with me when I say it's context dependent like I would I'm envisaging okay this is just going to slip off this old lady's back and it's just going to be straight up too heavy for us I want to see right are you capable of handling 20 kilos first but it's context dependent as as we kind of say so funny a funny note there so I did a an over 60s strength training class love it. for a couple of years it was my favorite favorite hour of the week um man they were mad for for weight they were mad for getting yeah. the bar on their back adding weight to the bar it was it was awesome like way way more into it there's one woman who pops into mind um where you know i really had to stop her from adding weight to the bar <laughs> which couldn't have been further from what i expected out of out of the, you know these interactions nice. it was awesome very nice there's, you do find that once they're kind of into it uh, some people might be a little bit tentative to start off with but once they're into it they're they're mad for it and I, I love that about that kind of population as well but anyway to kind of to kind of bring it back to the original question depending on the person's starting point we would meet them there yep. and build up from that so let's say for instance somebody is i'm going to pass the torch over to you let's say for instance somebody is proficient in a barbell squat what do you do from there have a chat um yeah that is that is really the 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 kind of driving force here is is conversation that's going to really guide and inform every single decision that i make and i maybe it sounds a bit reductive but you know we tend to have very lengthy and in-depth sign-up calls i think in comparison to at least my experience of of sign-up calls with coaches and and kind of my understanding of, of what they tend to look like and they're they're often kind of seen as a bit of a formality like a you know a quick quick introduction and um you know a couple of questions answered whereas i can have 90 minute calls you know um i'm I'm a big fan of of really diving into little things even just getting to know each other really well i I'll, i'll often find myself kind of exploring something that maybe they didn't expect or or um they didn't think was important um, but but I find that the, the the little notes that I can accrue over the course of a really good in-depth um, introductory call are really they, they really kind of just put the training block together for me you know so um, yeah like assessing someone's training level that's very very easy you know when you've been exposed to to coaching or just exposed to let's say the sport of powerlifting for, for a decent amount of time um you'll generally know pretty much straight away with one search maybe on open powerlifting or in ireland kind of it's a situation where everyone knows everyone and the, the, you know the considerations that come with 
experience level are relatively like I, I don't think it's an overly important thing i don't think the process changes massively you know depending on experience level we're going to have that that conversation i'm going to figure out preference and i'm going to put together a first block that's probably not too dissimilar from what they had been doing the one thing that i will say is that when it comes to someone who is we'll say advanced versus the opposite someone who's a beginner i'm far more hesitant to to we'll say overhaul things for that advanced lifter particularly yeah. training dosages um whereas for a beginner lifter i might be inclined to completely rework kind of the the prescription of volume or or just how we kind of have assigned our training resources you know i'm i'm, I'm far more likely to will say uh cut training volumes down you know a lot you know it's it's, it's a fairly common thing where beginners or, or kind of beginner intermediates come to us and they're doing an awful lot because they you know that's what they think they have to do they've they've heard of the term progressive overload and they've progressive overloaded to the point where they need us to help them, meaning yeah. they're doing too much and they're no longer progressing. Um, so, yeah, for, for that individual, I'll, I'll cut the volume in half, we'll say. Whereas for an advanced lifter, I'm far more hesitant to make big changes like that. We might explore a small intervention and kind of allow that to, to develop itself. Kind of like Ian asked here, um, you know with with that kind of introductory block every first block is an introductory block because it's an introduction to our process and and you know we're kind of getting over um we're getting over some of the the, the hurdles that come with a brand new coach athlete relationship um, yeah so yeah no i love that yeah i think you hit the nail on the head and i think any intervention that you make i'm sure you'll agree is largely based on preference as well especially for a, a newer kind of lifter like if you have nothing to work off of and they ask, oh, what should I do? We'll, we'll often start off with, well, what do you what do you enjoy doing? And kind of build that buy-in, build that trust, and especially making it more of a self-authored process, as I like to, to call it. I think that's, that's great for the, the building that relationship over time because, as I'm sure you agree, and as I'm sure you'll all agree, it's that this coaching is, is fundamentally about the relationship. It's not really about any intervention you can make or any magic program that you can muster. It's the relationship that you have with your lifter you know so yeah i think you i think you kind of nailed that perfectly and something you kind of alluded to there it's it's not just for the intro block this is for every block the the process doesn't really change because you're going to listen out to things like this part of this question was do you give them a training block and see how it goes on afterwards you'll be taking notes as you're checking in during the block you like these kind of little thoughts will kind of pop up and they might seem insignificant at the time but combining that kind of soft data let's say at the end from the check-in conversations can paint a nice clear picture or even just give you a nice direction to go a bit of momentum to pursue this different idea that you might think have a positive impact on your training and even if it isn't positive that's that's information and that's data in itself you know so i think that's that's also super valuable uh, a way to go so it's kind of it was neither one or the other of these scenarios I think the the kind of crux of that point was it's about the conversation. Yep, yep, one hundred percent, and that kind of nicely leads us into the second part of that question, which I believe was surrounding kind of uh, data tracking and kind of finding performance trends. I'll, I'll let you kind of read that read out. One hundred percent. So the second part of this question is, I'd also be really interested in data tracking 
with your clients and how you view trends and performance is it more so through with communication with the person or do you use anything specific to view it over time and as we kind of alluded to there it's a little bit of both in the past we've kind of talked about hard data and soft data these two kind of just working definitions or clarifications we put on it hard data being the metrics the numbers the changes week to week one thing we've used in the past to greatest success is fatigue markers and estimated one on axis so fatigue markers you might look at your sleep your mood soreness readiness all of these kind of different things and with your estimated one or maxes it's, it's kind of relatively straightforward you just take a set let's say it's a four at seven or four at eight over time you might build up an idea of what percentage or more your one or max this may be or your estimated one or max off the top of that number so they're kind of two hard data points that we've used to great success in the past some people get a bit more out of it than others it's it's flexible like we're flexible like that you know some people myself included would take a look at the e1rm chart after doing like a set of 10 at rp6 and says cool yeah i'm good to squat 300 kilos now in february can't wait <laughs> and then be like what the fuck that it didn't happen because you need to be able to take it with a pinch of salt and i think you need a degree of maturity which i must have only recently developed to be able to use something like estimated one or max appropriately and of course any chart you might find online is more of a bit of a proxy and you can and should work to build up your own chart over time of course this is a very lengthy process uh, in terms of the soft data that I kind of mentioned that you might pick up through our, your conversations or even idle chit chat um, god that could be anything like that could be a bit of like one of my lifters he's competing with me in February Stephen McCollum like we were talking about oh he likes safety bar squats because it, his shoulders feel really nice and he can he wasn't experiencing the same kind of shoulder fatigue and bench press that he had been in the past so a worthy inclusion for his competition prep block if he was doing very heavy low bar squats for his comp work his auxiliary squats were then going to be safety bar to kind of give the shoulders a little bit of a break and allow for us to ramp up the bench volume something like that it can seem very silly in the short term but it can start to build a picture of what the athlete is like what they're expecting what they want what they feel like might be a positive introduction to their training and even if there's no hard data to go with it if the client comes and says oh i feel like this is the way to go unless it's ridiculous and even then <laughs> i think it's worthwhile pursuing that because again it's the buy-in it's the trust it's the intrinsic motivation that's being built up and it's the self-author process that is being built up there so that's that's kind of my take on it and i'm i'm sure you'll disagree with me absolutely <laughs> you know that's not going to happen i'm <laughs> with you for the most part um i avoid the the, the term soft data I, I i avoid using kind of the word soft data and hard data because it tends to it tends to insinuate that the hard data is more important Whereas I think in this in this instance, it absolutely isn't. So I, I, I like yeah, to refer to soft fair. data as interpersonal data. It doesn't roll off the tongue as, as easy, but that's what it is. And I think, you know, you had mentioned um, how we're kind of painting a picture. I think tracking data, tracking kind of the numerical data really in the micro does nothing. Um, it, it You know, it's just numbers on a spreadsheet in the meso and the macro what it does is it starts to maybe add some color to the picture it starts to kind of give you a little bit you know it doesn't give you a whole lot there's a lot of people who've 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 kind of 
are a lot of coaches who've never tracked the data points in their life and have a ton of you know we'll say world champion athletes um so it's it's definitely it's definitely not um we'll say causative to athlete success but it, it can help paint the picture i think what literally what draws the picture and what gives you gives you the direction and the guidance is the interpersonal data it's the preference mm. that's ultimately what in every single coach coach athlete relationship that that i have right now um preference is is the driving factor behind the direction that that we're we're bringing training in um you know every single lifter i work with has we'll say a different training protocol right now and that's not as a you know a, a result of me trying to make sure i'm not accused of just copy and pasting things that's literally just because everyone has different preferences and i listen acutely for those preferences so that when it comes to constructing their next block i can include some preference and then over time we'll explore and we'll learn that's a very very important part is not always basing your training your programming decisions on the data that you have you need to explore to, to create more data i think we touched on that in the last podcast we did, we did with the explorer and exploit kind of hypothesis like exploring new options to be then able to exploit things that like maybe give a, a positive correlation to increased performance or metrics that you're tracking like be, and, and, and as you kind of said there you need to try different things out in order to be able to exploit something like if you try nothing new you have nothing to exploit yeah and that kind of you know leads me to a thought i had been having recently which is you know the kind of holy grail of of data tracking in a in a kind of a individual centric uh training approach is following the trail of athlete response right that's that's ultimately what we want yeah. to do when it's there <laughs> right yeah when it's discernible uh, I think often we get kind of a bit preoccupied with trying to find that athlete response. And if it isn't, if it isn't jumping out at us, we might be inclined to kind of invent it or to, to, to convince ourselves of some, some line, some trajectory, and then build a case for it to the athlete. I know in a lot of conversations I have, that seems to be um, someone's always on some, some trail of response, right? But sometimes there's no trail of response and i think that's that's the perfect time to to explore when when the data is pointing you nowhere and all you have is a is kind of an understanding of what your athlete likes and doesn't like um kind of getting putting your your heads together and and coming up with uh, some some kind of new territory to, to to forge um can can be a really nice way of of approaching training totally no yeah i i absolutely agree and i've definitely been guilty in the past of me too flicking through my block review and and looking at my like powerlifting rorschach test and being like mm, yes this <laughs> this is definitely a positive thing here and and look that's cool that's fine and as we kind of mentioned in the past if your rationale is yeah sure look we'll just do this and see what happens that's fine but if you start building this false narrative or you start inventing this mechanism for why sets of six on bench press on day one and sets of 10 on day two is is giving you the response that you want you're really not doing yourself or your client any favors and you're probably better off if we're talking about this if, if this is a question for coaches especially for beginner coaches that we're going to come to soon and um, you're better off just saying yeah i don't know and acknowledging that uncertainty that's there and not trying to paint yourself out to be this 
this mystic or this genius who's finding these patterns and finding these trends and links wherever you go because more often than not they're just not there and the positive response that you're seeing is not because of this specific stimulus it's because you're training for a long period of time 100 percent, 100 absolutely so on that i think that does do you have anything to finish out that that question there on tracking data i suppose part of the question that i didn't really touch on was like what exactly do you track and aside from the the interpersonal data um the actual numerical data that i'm going to track is like you mentioned fatigue markers we kind of have our own setup for that everyone has their own their own different thing the, the coach i'm working with at the moment they have their complete they have a completely different thing to us what it does is just create this kind of uh, relative gauge this thing that you can you can kind of start to to build up over over time that is definitely very context dependent so we track a marker for that based on four other markers that we compile on a week-to-week basis we track estimated one rep maxes in every single block that we do and i ta- i track number of sets um i don't track tonnage i think tonnage is nearly entirely useless because it's very very difficult to um to kind of keep perspective i suppose with tonnage yeah perspective changes greatly from block to block whereas number of sets is 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 going to be something that's pretty pretty consistent you know or it's it's something that's going to be um you know i'm I'm, I'm going to be kind of able to 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 transfer that that data from block to block whereas tonnage is just a a big number you know (laughs) um and yeah that's that's pretty much it super yeah no i i have nothing else to add there so i think we we kind of covered that and um, this question this next one up here that i feel ties in very very well is advice for coaching beginners in powerlifting what to avoid hands-on versus hands-off approach now, i'm not exactly sure what a hands-off or hands-on approach means here but one thing we touched on to avoid there is to just embrace the uncertainty that is that is everywhere that's inherent to the process not to invent these mechanisms or not to invent these patterns or relationships just just to appear more professional or more experienced than you are like it's it's okay to not exactly know what's going on or where it's going because we're all just just guessing really 100 percent. um i think for this question it would be particularly valuable to just kind of start from the complete start you know what i mean like you're a complete beginner maybe you're you know you've been lifting a few years and you're interested in in getting into coaching um where do you go and i think we we should really try and take our time here with this one and and build it up um from from funny thing that was asked of me actually over the weekend that that this reminds me of like somebody asked me oh where did you get your your power of being coach uh certification and i go well i went into my instagram bio and i typed powerlifting coach and and boom it just happened you read the scientific principles of strength training boom and there you go (laughs) world class um is it worth like if we're really talking about going back is it worth talking about how you and i got into powerlifting coaching yeah yeah i guess it is i guess you've been at it a little bit more now than i have do you want to do you want to take the lead on this sure but i join i join your road funny yes, enough so we yes, can we is. can both go come at this um so i started i started we'll say powerlifting lifting for for strength in 2014 and competed in 2015 and had a i was i was what age i was 17 16 
at the time of my first competition I, I broke the something something record in this Leicester Federation uh, to be very fair at the time the Irish PF didn't exist um, it was just the IDFPA was was the big dog at the time um, so broke the broke the record there I broke the squat record I think um, and yeah continued on definitely had an interest uh, oh at the time like I had no idea about programming or anything I was running like uh so I was doing small of junior on squat bench and deadlift. If you don't know what that is, Google it. It's ridiculous. Um, I was running the squat bench and deadlift programs concurrently. It was insane. Um, and when it came time to peak for competition, what I did, what made sense to me at the time was that plus this other thing I had heard of the Bulgarian method. So that led me to doing a essentially a one rep max at the start of every single training of every single movement on every single training session um followed by like an insane amount of volume at a very very high percentage of 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 a previous one rep max um yeah it didn't take me long to get hurt we'll say (laughs) now i got strong for sure but yeah i got hurt and in that period of kind of trying to deal with my pain experience started reading reading up a little more trying, trying to find kind of you know good trustworthy resources failed definitely he kind of based a lot of my early kind of ideas of, of powerlifting on not so good trustworthy uh, influences i think we've we've all been there um and yeah that that eventually graduated to me writing programs for my friends um and thinking i knew loads about technique and whatnot um which is a real beginner coach thing um I, you know, just then kind of walked into the role of coaching my friends rather than just like, here's a program. And by the end of, well, by September 2016, I had met yourself and a couple other guys, Nathan included. And in my kind of, we'll say, in my ignorance, I thought that I would be a suitable coach. Um, so I offered to coach you and Nathan for free. Everyone in my first couple of years of coaching was for free. And uh, yeah, I just kind of kept the ball rolling, kept kept learning, kept evolving, kept being open to new ideas, admitting where I was wrong. Um, and here I am. That, that, that's, that's the origin story. The, I think, a, a pretty fundamental point to this origin story and where kind of I started working with you is being sound and being conversational and being curious and being interested um, is kind of like if you're not interested as a coach like that's, that's it's tough to even imagine that it's very oxymoronic like it's you should be interested and it, it is the relationship as we kind of harp it back to like you could be the most technical optimist nihilist whatever master of the squat bench and deadlift whatever you want if you can't talk to somebody, if you can't be conversational, or if you're a dickhead, you're not going to go far. And you might be listening to this saying, Connor, you're a dickhead. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I, if, if I'm a dickhead to you, it means we're friends. See, I'm horrible to Adam. <laughs> but to everyone else, I'm actually okay. But I started, well, I, it's funny. I was very egotistical at the time as if something has changed. And I go, no, Adam thanks for the offer for free coaching 
I I'll take it from here for myself. And in about two weeks' time, I was like, yeah, that's this is a bad idea. I'm actually going to work with you. So the two things that you said to me at the start were okay. After a bit of time, I got my personal training certificate, which is not necessary for doing powerlifting coaching. It's a waste, actually. It, it is a bit of a waste now, to be fair. If you do need to get one, if you want to work in a gym, which is a totally different story, get the cheapest and quickest because yep. the qualification is all the same. You're paying for the qualification rather than the education. The education is a never-ending process that you'll have to do by yourself. But aside from that, I'd gotten my personal training qualification and I was talking to Adam about getting into powerlifting coaching and he was like, sure, come on board. The two things that you recommended to me to do at the start was to read... Uh, Renaissance Periodization's Scientific Principles of Strength or sorry is it Juggernaut or is it Renaissance I think it's a collaboration between Chad Wesley Smith and Mike Isretel super you'll be able to find it there anyway read that and Mike Tashir's RP book what's I don't even know what it's called but Intro to RP or yeah you'll find it Mike Tashir's RTS RTS Manual Manual. RTS Manual yeah (laughs) (laughs) reading the two of those I think Scientific Principles of Strength is still a really good book to give you a nice baseline understanding of just how your thought process should be as a strength coach if I can use that term and then Mike Tashir's RTS manual has really revolutionized powerlifting so for those that don't know before Mike Tashir everyone used percentage based training which is fine it's just kind of black and white Mike Tashir modified the Borg scale, which is the original RPE chart, was which was developed for aerobic training. And it went from 6 to 20, I believe, modeled off of your heart rate. 6 referring to 60 beats per minute, kind of resting. 20 meaning 200 as pretty much max effort. And so he modified that from a 1 to 10 kind of scale. It's six, 5 or 6 to 10 for argument's sake, but 1 to 10 on how so, how difficult something is so I read that uh, which provided a nice bit of context but everything after that was just kind of on the job practice talking to different coaches seeing how different people do different things meeting clients talking to clients spending a lot of time training talking about training thinking about training getting a load of different perspectives and just kind of refining how I and how we do things over time based on the individual 100 percent. yeah and i think um i think actually it's funny because i was asked a couple weeks ago why we started the podcast by someone who'd love to have a podcast and just you know isn't able to to kind of overcome that i suppose it's imposter syndrome um we i'm very lucky i don't experience that incredibly (laughs) egotistical (laughs) we started the the podcast on the back of like very frequent two three hour phone calls about stuff you know we just yes have long chats and be like damn we should have podcasted that or just stuck on record like yeah um but but that was a big big part of you and i cutting our teeth and you know allowing ourselves to kind of break free from a lot of the maybe more restrictive thinking of of consensus at the time which was which was very very closed-minded in like 2015 2016 even 2017 um you know the the world of powerlifting coaching and 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 programming was a very 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 different place i remember uh remember having people 
criticize my programming as being overly complicated because it included RPE and load drops. <laughs> um, God. So, yeah, us being able to kind of bounce our ideas and our understanding of things uh, off each other was, was a very, very big part. And I think having someone like that yourself, if you're a beginner coach, kind of, and I'm, my DMs are always open. I'm sure you'll say the same thing. Absolutely. If, yeah. if you're a beginner coach um, and you have a question, you want to have a chat, like 100% send me a DM. I might not be able to get back to you immediately, but when I can, I will and, and I'll, I'll enjoy that conversation. Hundred percent, no, and and it's, I I'm glad you kind of you you reminded me of how people used to think that our methods were fucking crazy and they were very convoluted and for 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 no good reason. And having like this kind of roster of athletes or having even this group of friends, whatever, to try these different ideas out was great, and it kind of being free for a, a decent period of time gave us the kind of freedom or that we weren't so we weren't so crippled by meeting a client's like a paying client's needs as as terrible as that might sound like this was just very much trial and error and that's what it always is but if you're brand new and somebody you've you've received let's say 50 quid for your first personal training session you're not going to be like let's just try some shit out and see what happens you're very much like results based and kind of giving yourself a break from that I think is a really good thing to not be looking at the the end result straight away to just be to give yourself that room to grow and mature and acknowledge that this is never going to stop you're never going to stop growing you should never stop growing you should never stop learning and asking these different questions and exploring different avenues sometimes it won't work out but you either win or you learn really like as, as kind of cringe as that is to say that's the fact of the matter and to acknowledge that early on will get rid of a lot of the stress and a lot of the pressure that you put on yourself 100% 100% I think in the in the we'll say beginner phases of, of being a powerlifting coach just trying to be a sponge to all information looking to develop the toolkit because everything yes. can have a place and I'm glad that that's where the conversation seems to be in powerlifting coaching at the moment. There's a there's a fairly consensus recognition that there's probably a place for for nearly everything at a certain point. Whereas you know that was definitely not always the case. Things were were yeah. very heavily demonized. Whereas people seem to, to to kind of be open to to many more ideas now. Um, but yeah, like never never like view everything as 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 a tool in the kit. Um, you know one thing might be popular or trendy at a certain time but the wheel tends to turn um mm. you know at a certain point we'll say when when i kind of really delved into to rpe and i was very very excited about what that meant and what that could do there was a certain time where absolutely every single training variable was an open-ended kind of rpe based training variable you know and i thought that that was the, that was absolutely the way to do it it was the only way to do it I remember think I remember uh, Mike Desheer at the time had um, it was before emerging strategies and that the kind of bottom up nature of emerging strategies and uh, he was using his own kind of creation I think he called it fatigue percents so yes yeah it was like there was no prescription of of volume there was no hard prescription it was just like a percentage drop and then you'd repeat load until 
you get to a, the initial RPE again and that would kind of give you this measurement for fatigue and you'd add all these percentages up and it was this big convoluted thing it was super cool and exciting this real uh, complicated cool sounding mechanism that I bought into massively I and loved I, it yeah. I, I remember thinking at the time like this is you know revolutionary this is the way um, and now we'll say six, five, six years later or actually no Jesus um, seven I'm, years I'm back using percentages and stuff you know and prescribing hard backdowns it's like there's there's what what i'm trying to get at is that keep everything in the toolkit because there's probably going to be a use case for for absolutely everything for sure no I, I i totally agree the last kind of part of that question is kind of giving me a little bit of trouble hands-on versus a hands-off approach do you want to make a bit of a stab at that what what i was going to do was was just kind of continue to, to develop along pieces of advice along the lines of kind of cool. your journey as a coach but i mean hands-on versus hands-off i suppose what they could be touching on is like you know the the actual um services that you offer you know you could offer uh like for example our services we have a more hands-on option that's very expensive yes we have a less hands-on option that's our standard coaching that is you know a, a affordable more affordable rate and then we've got a hands-off we'll say option which we don't even refer to as coaching because it's so hands-off we refer to it as a, as a consultation a programming consultation yeah. um so the question could be you know asking which one of those is better um that's going to be entirely based on you it's going to be entirely based on what you can offer and i think um as you transition from beginner to will say intermediate coach having clear boundaries is going to be super important you know setting up expectations letting your athletes know that look this is what you can expect from me and then delivering on those expectations um is is of utmost importance and it always will be but um which one is better will entirely depend on what you can consistently offer there's nothing yes. worse than you know promising promising the world and then and then just not being able to deliver on it consistently and for a long period of time for sure don't totally agree the consistency in your service is is a necessity there's no two ways about it um one thing that kind of came to mind there when we were talking about a very hands-on a very hands-off approach how i would look at that now is let's say you said you let's say you have a very advanced or a very experienced trainee sign up a very hands-on approach could be overhauling this overhauling that take a look at your technique not feeling good let's change some things whereas i very much would be the very hands-off approach like i have a new lifter who started with me about six weeks ago a little bit of a training age not a whole lot could do the movements to the standard that you could call them a squat bench and deadlift and after that i've made next to zero technical interventions said here's the training prescription keep me posted and he's got way stronger at no point have i felt the need to change something because we are seeing progress and he's enjoying it if we ran into an obstacle or if there was something obvious at a kind of an intersection of training blocks i might but even then he's getting stronger there's all the time in the world to make these interventions you know and even if he wasn't getting stronger even if it was just 
the same kind of weights getting used to it I wouldn't jump to making like a technical intervention or anything like that I think that's quite an invasive strategy I think you and I would both tend towards making the minimally invasive interventions and taking just low-hanging fruit where we can I think you it's know, worth like, adding the word effective to that minimally invasive effective intervention yes that's yes. the goal right because I, uh, this, I, I had this in my mind while you were talking there and I'll just throw it out there and I'll let you get back mm. to your point but that doesn't necessarily imply anything about the level of intervention it's a minimum effective intervention so it could actually end up being quite a big intervention right but the goal yeah. should be to make the minimum intervention because with every with with um, with kind of the scale of intervention there's there's going to be a kind of a an appropriate uh, consequence we'll say you know and so so yeah it's it's definitely a good idea to try and look towards making the minimum effective intervention but yeah totally no and that kind of wraps up my my thoughts on it in terms of a very hands-on or very hands-off approach and that's that's something that you will just kind of develop over time your your own way of doing things i think naturally when you're starting off it's it's normal to be very hands-on because you're you want to make a good impression you want to be active you want to justify your service especially justify your cost this is something i talk about an awful lot so you you're eager to do something you know you don't want to somebody to turn around and say here look i'm paying you all this money we've spent this so much time together and you haven't really told me to do anything we haven't changed much that's i understand that can be a very big point of insecurity or that can be a very big fear but if you don't need to change something don't if it's not broke like honest to god there was something else but no i like i think that quite that's that's a lot and if you're a beginner coach if you listen to this if you're the person who was was asked this question there's a lot of actionable stuff there and i would take that and work on it yep i think understanding that your job is not to impress anyone it's yes. to to do your job you know, um, not doing things to, to, to try and justify your existence. Um, that's, that's some of the most impressive um, things that you can do. You know, hearing a coach who's willing to say, I don't know, like mm. I will have a huge amount of respect for that coach versus someone who tries to kind of paint this picture of, of expertise in all areas. It's like, no, that's impossible. Not everyone, not yeah. everyone is going to be... Um, kind of all suited and all knowing that's that's completely impossible you know try not to appease to to individuals because the reality is like it's a relationship and and like all relationships sometimes it's not just it's just not going to work out it's nothing nothing on either party yeah it just doesn't work out and i've had that that situation myself numerous times countless times at this point and you just have to kind of develop a thick skin i think because particularly in a community like powerlifting it's a very small community people are going to say things People are gonna say crazy things, and it's gonna wind you up. Um, you know, I've been, I've been, I've had like nearly everything. I think nearly every negative thing you could say about my coaching, I think, has been said at this point. <laughs> I've like totally contradictory cat- things. Yeah, catastrophically injured people, and then I'm also somehow also not doing enough. Uh, it's all been said. Um, so I think yeah, it, it's a good idea to to develop a, a thick skin to that, and and just kind of keep your identity at the forefront keep your values at the forefront and like i say set your boundaries and deliver and just stick to that Mm. don't 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 deviate you know just just stick to that 
a couple of things I had noted here because I, I, I agree with you that we have said a lot and it, it might be we might be getting to the point where we're saying too much um, some just a couple of things that I have um, noted here um, useful so so I already mentioned the toolkit uh, it's useful to dedicate some time every every day or, or every week to learning um, I know that when I have kind of fallen out of that routine I've often felt um, uh, kind of disenfranchised I've, I've I've maybe maybe kind of imposter syndrome starts to get a bit louder or things get a bit boring it can be yeah it, it's very worth it to, to just dedicate some some time um, whenever suits to, to to learn new stuff or just to listen to new things it doesn't always have to be like powerlifting specific sometimes it can be totally random I know we'd mentioned at the start uh, we are both very very big fans of the the Barbell Medicine podcast one of the reasons I'm a massive fan of them is the broad variety of things they talk about you know yes it's, it's not just powerlifting even though they are both high level powerlifters and and great powerlifting coaches um so so that's that's a very um important piece of advice in my opinion avoid dogma avoid making very broad assertions avoid burning bridges is a very very big one you kind of alluded to that initially uh networking is unbelievably valuable in all things in all industries but mm. in again in the small community that is powerlifting never mind irish powerlifting um networking is extremely valuable and, and your reputation your reputation will follow you um and and for a very long very very long time for um, sure so don't be a dick be just be sound uh it's funny i did actually the same personal training course you did right but i think like maybe the year before yeah and there was one of the one of the instructors really nice guy and one of his one of his nuggets of wisdom was just be sound and to this day <laughs> nearly what are we we're seven seven years on to this day that oh is an gosh, absolute yeah. pearl of wisdom and that's 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 never not been true and that's um that's something that has helped me uh advance as a, as a coach for sure absolutely coach jay if i'm remembering correctly no it was sean bean actually and ah. he is still in and around the powerlifting scene i believe i doubt he's listened to this but if you are shout out sean. <laughs> the what is it reputation is something that can only be gained in drips but is lost in buckets yes and um, so guarded guarded very carefully that was very well said Awesome. The next question involves our strategies in terms of getting over plateaus in training. Now, a plateau in training, as it's traditionally kind of known, is like a long-ish period of time with minimal to no progress. You know, we spoke on this in the last podcast. We're kind of referring back to that an awful lot. Must have been really great. Go check it out if you haven't already a kind of lapse in your progress or a kind of a lull in training is a very necessary part of training. It is inevitable. And oftentimes, if you think you're in the midst of a plateau, zoom out a little bit and you might feel a little bit better about yourself. Like there was a while there between July and Christmas where I felt I was in the middle of a bit of a plateau. But I kind of thought to myself, the training weights that I'm using, the baseline of my strength is the highest it's ever been while I'm not exactly pushing the ceiling of my strength my baseline the weights that I use every single day and the weights that I'm nervous that I was nervous about using 
I'm not nervous about it anymore, you know? So I think it is a matter of finding the wins where you can and continue, continuing training for the most part. Generally, I would not make any crazy interventions or any interventions at all, really, if we feel we're in the midst of a training plateau. It's just a bit of a part of the process and you kind of just need to keep it going. But, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, Adam, but after that, there is things that you can do. There are several changes that you can make. I think, as, as you kind of said, a really good um, line you used a couple of times in the last podcast, the burden of proof is quite heavy to be able to justify some more invasive interventions. Let's say, like, changing the number of sets, like, in terms of volume, is kind of, I wouldn't say it's crazy, unless it's it, you're changing it drastically. The intensity... The movements, things like this, are all avenues you can kind of look to or injecting some kind of a novel stimulus is one of my favourite things to do, just even to break up the mental monotony of training, to inject a bit of fun, a bit of enjoyment. And even that is a standalone strategy in itself. If you find you're in a bit of a plateau with training, shifting the goal to enjoying training is a pretty good way to go. And you, you might often find that you'll lead to breaking that plateau whether it's in your competition numbers or in the numbers of let's say a novel movement that you introduce hitting that kind of new territory with those numbers can be a very very good thing and mentally very rewarding physically obviously very rewarding if you are finding yourself progressing again so finding some avenue with which you can meaningfully progress and meaningfully is a very key word that is a bit of a a bit of a messy one because it, it means different things for different people but that's kind of how I would look at things do you know but they're yeah that's no that's it yeah I mean again unsurprisingly we were we're aligned um, <laughs> those those are those are you know the main strategies from a pragmatic point of view I think from a coaching point of view if you're if you're asking this question from the point of view of a coach yeah try, trying to kind of shift focus a little bit away from what hasn't been going well and and try and reframe things um and 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 shift the focus towards what what has been going well or what is likely to go well uh, is is a really really valuable strategy um i think from from the athlete point of view it's a little bit of a different question because it really just comes down to resilience there there are a couple of things that that i that i like to say surrounding kind of plateau so there is a minimum kind of minimum standard here when you're a powerlifter that you that you just have to have to to achieve and that is that you are lifting weights right that's the minimum thing uh, and beyond that we'll we'll say kind of minimum plus one is that you're you're lifting weights <laughs> with intent and with great effort that's that's something that pretty much all of us do and if we're not doing it at a certain time we're we're aspiring to it right uh, of course, hard work is part of the process. It's, that's not surprising. Um, so, taking solace in the fact that you are—you know—you are doing what you need to do. You know that you are doing the thing that will accrue the adaptations that will make you stronger. That's that's a really really valuable way to deal with a training plateau. And I think most of getting through a training plateau is just dealing with that training plateau, um, because. You know, it just isn't a it just isn't a linear process. It's not a straight line process. At a certain point, at a certain level of of ability, um, 
you're going to be you're going to be weaker and i was thinking of is that the right word yeah it is the right word at a certain point you are not going to be as strong as you once were and it's going to take a lot of time to forge new territory you see that in in real advanced athletes there tends to be much more noise in their we'll say progression than there is in in kind of newer or more inter- intermediate lifters who seem to just be on that kind of straight line of improvement so dealing with that plateau and, and knowing that you're doing the things that you have to do um i think accepting the fact that you're doing what you can do and that you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know accepting those three things i think is very very important because like you kind of touched on there the the urge is to change things in a, in a massive way or look for the problem there might not be a problem you might just be in a phase where the plateau is ultimately unavoidable or or, or even necessary you know maybe you're in a, a particular um, set of, of circumstances we'll say life circumstances where the, the the effect that they're having on your training is that the the your expression of strength is a little bit lower than it might otherwise be and 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 when things kind of normalize and that might be a a lengthy period of time we'll say six months um when things normalize that's when we'll start to see that increase in 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 strength or at least our expression of our strength again Mm. you know um but yeah it's uh i I think just resilience really sums up getting over training plateaus and then on the on the coach end of things keep doing keep doing your job keep checking in (laughs) keep trying to you know um reassure the athlete and and make them feel heard and listened to and and maybe do a bit of like exploration like you suggested i i think that pretty much sums that up 100 percent. develop your grind set and just keep doing the thing yeah some of that some (laughs) (laughs) grinding like yeah we're we're lifting weights and and making money and eating food it's (laughs) Uh, that's going to be the tagline for the podcast lifting weights and making money <laughs> love that yeah I think um, I think that's that's all we got thank you everyone for, for all of your wonderful questions there were some we didn't get around to and we'll we'll add them to, to the log uh, for the next one um, yeah we're, we're, we're probably going to look to, to do a, a frequent um, enough amount of these Q&A's so uh, yeah. if you have any questions even if even if we don't have like a, a story up about them, if you have questions, please shoot them to us on our Instagrams, which are Adam at or at, at Adam underscore Odyssey and at Connor underscore Odyssey. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. That was episode number 22 of the Odyssey podcast. We will see you next time. Take care.